So we're going to begin a new uh, series today, and uh, I want to begin this series by just being as, I guess, simple and, and, and practical as possible so that we understand. It's just an introduction, and I want to get into it more. And there's a reason why I want to spend so much time on this topic, maybe in the next couple of weeks or so. What I want to talk about is judgment, or more specifically, judging. Judging. Why talk about judging? I promised that we talk about it a few weeks ago when we were looking at First Chronicles, and now here it is. And uh, the reason I want to talk about judging is because it, it, it's a reality. Uh, we tend not to like it, but we also tend to easily do it. And you might just sit there and you might think, well, no, I don't really judge. I'm not as judgmental as other people. I'm not that judgmental. But you're probably more judgmental than you think. And one of the reasons I want to talk about it is that it's also probably one of the most misunderstood things in the Bible, right? I mean, who doesn't like to quote the mantra, don't judge me, right? You don't have to be a Christian to like that mantra. It's the culture of our day, especially here on the East Coast. Hey, don't judge me. Hey, don't judge me. Don't judge me, right? And so we oftentimes immediately assume that all judging is bad. And that's not exactly the case here in the Bible, Right? But the reason why I do want to talk about it is not only because it's misunderstood, because it's also dangerous. It's dangerous. It's dangerous to be judgmental, not just to yourself, not just to your faith, but also dangerous to those around you, in your relationships, at work, or in the home, and especially in the church. And so that's why I want to take a few weeks to look at this very carefully, but today is, is going to be more of a seminar format. It's going to be just simple points, bang, 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 just to kind of give you an overview of some practical issues of what I think it is. And we're looking at Romans here, Romans chapter 2. I'm doing injustice to Paul's letter because Paul, when he writes, it's so dense. Every verse is packed with stuff. We're looking at 16 of his verses, so I'm not even going to be able to get into everything. I want to do a, a quick overview of what I think he's saying with regards to judgment as we know it, right? And so chapters 1 to chapter 3, Paul is basically being a good lawyer, and he's laying out an argument, not just against the Jews, but also the Gentiles, non-Jews, that no one is righteous, that no one is really good. And he's doing it slowly, but he's doing it surely, chapter 1, chapter 2, and he concludes in chapter 3 to basically conclude that everyone's a sinner, and if you conclude this, and if you can convince you of this, it means that if you're a sinner and they're a sinner, then everyone's a sinner. That's how much we need his grace. So from chapter 4, he goes on and he talks about grace and what God does for us. So what we want to do is we want to look at chapter 2. And I've just got two points here with regard to judging. Okay? Number one, the first point is this. No one has the right to judge others. No one has the right to judge others. And the second point is simple. Only God has the right to judge others. Two simple points, but let me unpack it for you. No one has the right to judge others. Why? Why? Look at verse 1. Verse 1, it says this. Therefore, you have no excuse, man, every one of you who judges, for in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself because you, the judge, practice the very same things. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. He's basically saying this. You who pass judgment have no excuse to do so. And the word judgment here does not mean evaluate. Okay, He's not saying analyze. 
He's not talking about just being discriminating or even discerning. The word judgment literally means condemn. How do I know this? Because in verse 1, he says this, when you pass judgment on one another, you condemn. You condemn yourself. When you judge, it literally means you are condemning. You are not only making a decision, you are also pronouncing a sentence. You are passing a verdict. He's not just talking about, you know, you being a sort of discerning kind of person. He's saying when you judge, you condemn other people. He says, look at verse 1, you the judge. You play the judge. You decide, you determine, you make a verdict, and then you execute the sentence. Now, I know some of you might be thinking, do I really do this? Do I, do, am, I, am I really like this? And, and, and think about this. You come across a person, they do something that you don't like. They, you find out a personal offense. What do you do? Well, you do either two things. If you're aggressive, you confront them. and says, I can't believe you do this to me. And you punch them in the face, right? You might do that. But most of you are passive aggressive, so what do you do? I can't believe, and this is all in your head. I can't believe he said that to me. I can't believe she did that to me. Forget him. To heck with her. Forget about you. You have just excommunicated them from your life. You put them on the blacklist. That's a sentence, right? That's a verdict. And what I want to say is this, in this way, no one has the right to judge in this way other people. Do you know why? Listen carefully. It's not because people don't deserve judgment. The reason we don't judge this way is not because that person that offended you, that person that hurt you, that person that did wrong to you doesn't deserve it. But the reason why we don't judge, even in this condemning kind of judgment, is simply because of this. You are not qualified to handle this kind of judgment. You're bad at it. I'm bad at it. And there are four reasons I see in this passage why we are bad at it. Paul points this out, okay? Why are we bad at it? First, in verse 1, he says, you excuse yourself, you judge others for the same bad thing. One of the reasons we're bad at it is because we accuse others, but we tend to excuse ourselves. We oftentimes think everybody's guilty, but I'm innocent. It's everybody's fault, but it's not mine. And it's not just every sin. Maybe it's a particular issue. Maybe it's a particular sin. It says, I would never do that. But he did. But she did. So I've got this issue together, and you don't. I don't do that, so I'm not that bad. We tend to excuse our other sins, but not others. We tend to excuse our own sins, our own issues, but not others' issues. Have you seen this? Same issues, we say, no, this is just who I am. 
you do? I'm just going on. You, you don't even understand what God's telling you. You, you just forget all stuff. Someone once said this, quote, the person who thinks he has a clear conscience just has poor memory, end quote. And put this to reality. Think about the times where you blew up at someone because they did wrong, and you start going at it, you start being the judge, and in that moment, you are not even thinking about all the things that you've done wrong. You're not even thinking anywhere close to what the, how many times that you've messed up. You're focused on getting this one person to admit that he or she did wrong to you, and you want to play judge. We easily forget our sins, right? We excuse ourselves, we excuse others. That's one reason that we're bad. Okay, secondly, the reason why we're bad at judging is this. We measure other people by the wrong standard, oftentimes. Look at verse 2. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Well, in the NIV, it translates that same verse like this. We know that the God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. So Paul is saying here, when God judges, he bases it on truth. And the thing is, when we judge, to be honest, sometimes we base it on ourselves. We base it in comparison to what we think or in relative to what we've done. We, we base it on ourselves. We're the center. So in this way, God's judgment is absolute, but our judgment tends to be relative. We judge based on what we think or what we feel or what we don't like or we don't you know, approve of. And we become very hypocritical as judges like this. How many times have you heard of someone sinning, a bad sin, and you're thinking to yourself, that is terrible. That person deserves to be punished. But let's say that similar sin occurs in someone's life that you love, a person that you care about, a dear friend of yours. How quickly are you able to excuse that friend for the same same kinds of sins in that stranger that you heard about doing something wrong? Have you ever noticed? We tend to judge others by their actions. But we judge ourselves by our intentions. That probably kind of mean, right? I didn't mean it like that. That's not what I meant. And when we see other people do it, that's what you did. Right? So God judges here in verse 2 based on truth. And the problem is, as long as you're a person, as long as you're human, as long as you're a sinner... We don't always see the whole truth. That's the issue. All of us have some blind spots. I don't see my weaknesses. You don't see yours all the time. We don't always see where we're at fault, only see where people are at fault. It, it, it's so true. Look, I thought for the longest time I was the most socially awesome person in the world. I was not awkward, never occurred to my mind. I was just cool, okay? I thought I was the cool. And it wasn't until I got married that my wife points out that you are just so awkward. I would have never known that unless someone had told me. Why? Because I'm blind to myself. I'm thinking I'm cool, but everyone else sees me completely different. You see that? We don't see everything about ourselves. And that's an issue. How do you judge when you don't see everything? And so the entire Bible then shows how short-sighted all of us when it comes to our own issues. For example, you know what you remember, Jonah? 
it was easy for Jonah to look at the problems of people. And he didn't want to do anything with them, right? God says, go to the Ninevites, go to this sinful people and preach to them. And he didn't want to do it. He says, God, how can you ask me to do this? The Ninevites are terrible. He saw everything that they did. And he didn't want to show them grace. His words were like very short. He just wanted to leave. But the issue for Jonah was this. He couldn't see his own idolatry. He couldn't see his own sins. He couldn't see his own perversion. And God had to show him that. Right? So God bases on truth. We tend to base on ourselves. Thirdly, another reason why we're just not good at judging others is... Because some of us, when we judge others, it, it tends to make us feel better about ourselves. A little more superior. Now you might, I don't think there's anybody here who's going to say, yeah, I'm better than you. Right? But if you have ever said, I can't believe you did that. The alternative inside of your saying is this, I would never do that. If you have ever said, I can't believe he or she would do that. Alternatively, you are saying, I would never have done that. And in that sense, you are saying you were better than that person in that one issue. For example, it doesn't make sense. Look, let's say I'm in debt. I'm in debt $10 million. You're in debt $20 million, right? So since you are in debt $20 million, right, I'm free from debt. Does that make sense? Is that a logical conclusion? Of course not. It doesn't make sense. I'm still in debt. Your debt is a little bigger than mine, but I'm still there. And so in the same way, look, your sin is worse than mine. Your sin is worse than mine. Your issue is worse than mine. Maybe, but does that negate your own? And you think just because you're able to point that out on somebody else, does that make you a better person? Of course not. Here's what I want you to know. God doesn't grade on a curve. And you might consider all of your issues smaller compared to somebody else. But in the eyes of God, you're the same. Just because you're able to point out other people's sins and issues doesn't mean you're off the hook. Every finger that you point at others, you've got other fingers pointing at you. Right? So that's the third reason. Fourth reason, and let me just end with this first point. Fourth reason is this. Verse 4. Do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? When you're judgmental like this, in this condemning sort of way, you forget about his grace. You forget about his kindness. You forget that the only reason that you're still here is because of his kindness and his grace. You forget that. And so you've taken on this role of judgment. You've taken on the role of the accuser. And you're laying it into this person or this group or this whatever it is. And you forget the grace that you've received, the kindness that you received. And you forget that same grace and that kindness goes on to them as well underestimate the goodness of God. So this is why we don't judge. This is one reason why we don't judge, because we're just not going to be good at it. You accuse others, but you excuse yourself. You measure others by the wrong standard. When you judge, you tend to put others down, but you make yourself look a little better. You neglect the goodness and the kindness and the patience that God has. Those are reasons I think Paul mentions. Now why, if we know this, and I'm, I'm sure many of you uh, will probably agree with me, why why, why do we become like this many times? Three reasons, I think. Judging is the, the symptom, but I think there's something under there that, that, that causes these symptoms to happen. And there's two things, I think, at least two. One is what I would call self-righteousness. Self 
self-righteousness. Now, what's self-righteousness? A self-righteous person acts superior to his peers because he believes his moral standards are perfect. That is a typical definition of what we think when we think about self-righteousness. And the world loves that. We don't like self-righteous people. We think they're morally superior to us. You're like the Sadducees and the Pharisees who believed that they were holy and righteous because they were strict about keeping the law. And as a result, they came across as self-righteous because they judged others by what they were able to do. Okay? But self-righteousness is actually a little broader than that. It doesn't mean you think you are morally perfect or morally better than somebody else. It's it's a little more general. Another definition of self-righteousness is this. You're having characterized You're being characterized by a certainty, especially an unfounded one, that you think you're totally correct and therefore puts you above others. When you describe someone as self-righteous, you disapprove them because they are convinced that they are right in their beliefs, in their attitudes, and in their behavior, and that other people are wrong. You see that? And that means it's not just about being morally right. It's simply about you being convicted that you think you are right. And so then self-righteousness then is not just about those people who are morally righteous or religiously righteous. It's also for the people who are liberal, for the immoral and the irreligious as well. Listen to this quote by uh, Tim Keller in his book, The Prodigal God. And he points this out very carefully. He says this. He says, quote, There is an equally dangerous form of self-righteousness that plagues the unconventional, the liberal, and the non-religious types. What do I mean? It's simple. We can become self-righteous against those who are self-righteous. Many younger people today are reacting to their parents' conservative, button-down, rule-keeping flavor of that older brother religion with a type of liberal, untucked, rule-breaking flavor of the younger brother irreligion, which screams, that's right. I know I don't have it all together. You think you do. I know I'm not good. You think you're good. That makes me better than you. You see the irony, he says? He says, in other words, they are proud that they're not self-righteous. Self-righteousness is no respecter of persons. It reaches the religious and the irreligious, the buttoned down and the untucked. So the question is, in which direction does your self-righteousness lean? And Paul is trying to say in chapters 1, 2, and 3, We are all, in a sense, self-righteous. So you read chapter 3, look at verse 10. He says this, as it is written, none is righteous, not one. No one understands and no one seeks God. And so Romans 2 here is talking about judgment. But on the one hand, he's talking to those people who are saying, hey, that's not me. I'm pretty decent. I, I know I'm not perfect, but at least I'm respectable. And relatively, I'm morally good. He says, no, you're not. But he's also talking to the other group of people who say, hey, I'm not like those guys either. That's not me. I live in a woke culture. I know what real life is like. I know what people are like. And so I get it because I'm just like them. And it's those Jesus freaks that are the ones that have a problem. No. He said, you're self-righteous as well. The problem is not that you think you're perfect. I don't know anyone who goes around saying, I'm perfect. We're quick to admit we're not perfect. The problem is not that we think we're perfect. The problem is we think relative to others, even though not perfect, we're still pretty good, pretty decent. The problem is relative to particular issues, specific sins. We're still pretty decent. We're pretty aware. 
And so self-righteousness can be everybody's problem, no matter where you are on the spectrum, and therefore everyone is susceptible to being judgmental. Something we need to be aware of. Second thing I want us to be aware of is this. It's what I call a critical spirit. And this is something I think our church needs to listen to because we're very opinionated people here, but we need to check ourselves once in a while. Do you have a critical spirit? Now, what's that? It's an obsessive attitude of criticism and fault-finding which seeks to tear down rather than build up. There's such a thing as constructive criticism, okay? There's such a thing as constructive feedback, but a critical spirit gives destructive criticism. The only criticism that's ever constructive is that which speaks truth in love, to build up or edify another person for his or her good or for God's glory. But a critical spirit dwells on the negative, looks for flaws rather than positive qualities in others. They are constantly complaining or criticizing, and they're usually upset with something or somebody. It's the exact opposite of what we call a rose-colored, someone who wears rose-colored glasses. You know, that's someone who sees everything as really good. And It's the opposite. A critical spirit is like putting on sunglasses when the day is full of clouds. Everything looks dark. Everything is dark in hue, drab in hue. The critical person comes to expect or even hope that something will be wrong in life. Okay? Someone with a critical spirit has little control over their tongue. Someone with a critical spirit... They have a temper, and they have tendency to gossip, to slander, to strife, to malice, and that person is toxic. And that's the reason why, therefore, if this person judges, it's going to be a very bad judge. Now, you might know someone like this. I'm sure we all do. But the question is, do you have a critical spirit today? If so, how do you know? Well, if you have a critical spirit, you probably excuse yourself, just like chapter 1 or, or verse 1 says. You probably refer to this quality by saying something like, no, I'm not a critical spirit. I'm, I'm more discerning. I'm just being honest. I'm just being real. I'm telling it like it is. Do you, do you dwell? Do you ruminate on negative feelings? Do you have this tape recorder of how bad things or wrong things always happen to you by that some person or someone? Do you say things over and over again to yourself? I can't believe he was such a bad listener. I can't believe that she was so full of herself. Or he's so vain. Look at her clothes. I wonder how much money she spends on her wardrobe. Do you think things just keep, keep coming into your head? Then you have a critical spirit. Sometimes the negative, negativity in our hearts finds its way to our tongues. And other times it just stays in our hearts. But either way... Oftentimes, the root of being a judgmental person this way is often a critical spirit. Now, we'll look at more of that more carefully in the following weeks. But let me just move on here. So, just to be more practical. If you don't get it by now, when is it wrong to judge? When is it wrong? Number one, verse one. It's wrong to judge when you're doing the same thing. When you're doing the same thing. Number two, it's wrong to judge when you're basing it on appearance. John chapter 7, verse 24. Stop judging my parents by their hair, their clothes, their style, the color of skin, their, their pimples. It doesn't matter. Number three, it's wrong to judge when you condemn somebody before hearing all the facts. You get the facts first. Most of us hear things from second hand. Oh, I heard this person say about that person, about that person. That, 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 this. It's all hearsay. 
And there's always more than one side to a story. Always more than one side to a story. There's your side, there's their side, and then there's God's side. So you should hold, withhold your judgment. Number four, it's wrong to judge when it causes you to speak evil and slander against another person. Slander means you ruin someone's reputation. I'm not ruining their reputation. I'm just sharing a concern. No, the difference is in your attitude. In chapter 4 of Ephesians, Paul says we're to speak in a way that builds up, helps, corrects, and edifies. It's wrong to judge, last one, it's wrong to judge when you're basing it on motives. When you're looking at someone's motivations. This is why that person did what they did. This is why she said what she did. You are assuming the intentions of their heart. You don't have an x-ray into people's hearts. And the problem is sometimes we don't even know our motives. Why did I say that? Why did I do this? We don't have the right to question other people's motives when you can't even figure out your own. We don't even know why we do what we do, much less why the other person do what they does, and only God does. And so if you can't figure out your own motives, don't waste time trying to figure out other people's intentions. Wrong. Okay? Let's move on. That's why we shouldn't judge. Right? We'd be bad at it. But the second thing is, then who gets to judge? And the second point here is this. Only God does. Let me just move more quickly with this. Only God gets to judge. And I guess this is an obvious one. But when does he judge? Verse 16, on that day, according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men's of hearts. On the day, that last day, there will be a day where God will judge. Okay? He will judge. He will do what you want to do all the time. But he will do it on the last day. And you're not going to go to him, and you're not going to be able to say, and no one's going to be able to say, oh, that's so unfair. How could you judge me for this? That's so unfair, God. You're not going to say that. Why? Because verse 6, he's been patient and kind and understanding and waiting. The last day hasn't come. <laughs> there's patience there. And there's no excuse when it comes, okay? The, the second point, when do, or how does he judge? Well, we already said it. Verse 2, he judges based on truth. He knows all the truth. He knows more than we could ever know. Uh, and... and um, he knows everything about me, every thought I've had. Uh, and so our judgment is superficial, but his judgment is complete. Our knowledge is partial but, and subjective, but his is more objective and perfect. That's how he judges. He bases on truth. Thirdly, he not only bases on truth, but he bases, he's not partial. Verse 11, God shows no partiality. We're partial. We excuse ones we like. We don't excuse ones we don't. We're harsh on some, soft on others. But in his eyes, we're all the same, okay? Verse 6 to 10 in our passage, how does God judge? According to what you did. He's going to judge you according to what you did, according to not what other people have done to you. He's going to judge you not because of your husband or your wife or your parents or, your, or the kids. You have, you're going to be accountable for you. So you won't blame anyone. He's going to hold you accountable. And you won't be able to say, well, if only he didn't say that, if only she didn't do this, I wouldn't have responded this way. It's not going to fly, okay? Um, he's going to judge according to what we did. And lastly, he's going to judge according to your conscience, verses 12 to 15. I'm not going to read these verses, but I'll tell you what he basically means. He's going to judge according to what you know already. How did you respond to what you already know? Your conscience. Just because someone knows more than we do doesn't excuse us. The issue is not how much did you know, but what did you do with what you knew? Right? And that's why Paul says in, uh, that God judges the secrets of men's of hearts. He knows their motives. He knows their intentions. He knows their character. 
God judges based on your character, your conscience, what you did with what you knew. He doesn't care about your reputation. Reputation is what other people say about you. Character is what God says about you. Okay? So conduct, conscience, character. Paul is simply trying to show in this passage our need for salvation, our need for his grace. And he's doing a good job because in this chapter, he's showing us, especially when we judge, how we've all blown it. That on judgment day, nobody's going to be able to say to God, my conduct was sinless, my conscience is perfectly clear, and my character is spotless. And that's why you don't judge this way. Because you make a terrible judge. And what you're really trying to do is only what God can really do. Because he's the only one that's really qualified to do that kind of judging. So that when you judge this way, you're trying to play God. You're trying to take his role. And that's one reason why this judging is wrong. You do you, but you need to let God be God. So leave the judging to him. That's why Paul says in Romans 12, Never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Trust me, you want to leave the judging to him. You don't want to judge, that's his job. And he's going to do a better job than you. He's utterly righteous. He'll be total and complete and perfect in his judgment. But that's not the real reason why you should let him be judged. It's not just because he's more qualified than you. Because after all, who would remain standing under his judgment? You might have some stuff against people, but how would you like it? We flashed a video right behind myself, every evil thought, every evil thing you've done for everyone to see. Who would stand under his judgment? The reason why you want to let God be judged is not because he's more qualified, which is true. But the reason why you need to let him be judged is because of this. Verse 4. Do you presume on the riches of his kindness, forbearance, patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? How does him judging lead you to repentance? Paul is not trying to scare you to repentance. He's not trying to say judgment is coming, therefore you better repent. It's his kindness and forbearance and patience that's going to lead you to repentance. He says in Romans 12, Vengeance is mine. I will repay. But how does this judge repay? 2 Corinthians 5.21 For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. How does this judge take the judgment? The The Jesus that he sends, the Son of God, he's the one that takes that judgment. How does he repay the evil? The judge gets judged. He gets sentenced to death on a cross. The king dies for his servants. The creator of all takes the judgment for his creation. Why? So that in his kindness, in his patience, in his grace, not his judgment, but his mercy might lead you to repentance. Jesus takes this judgment so that those who come to him by faith 
might drop their self-righteousness, their critical spirit, and receive his goodness and receive his righteousness. You ain't better than God. He's going to do better than you. And this is what we're supposed to do instead of judging. The way we are brought to Christ is not by putting people down and telling them what they already know, but by showing them the goodness, the kindness, the patience, and the mercy of God, which leads to repentance. Let God be the praise.